Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, conversation about quarterbacks continues with Ben Brown. We've had Ben on the show before. Ben used to be with Pro Football Focus. He's now with Sumer Sports, where Eric Eager, Thomas Dimitrov are. Uh, we've had Eric on the show many times. Ben joins us courtesy of our BetQL guest hotline. Bet smarter, beat the books. Download the BetQL app today or visit BetQL.com. So I had, Ben, somebody tweet me um, that essentially said, it's just amazing the varied opinions on you know all of these quarterbacks. You know, one guy loves Drake May, the next guy can't stand him, doesn't think he's a first round pick. Um, what do you make of just this time of year and all of the you know different opinions? It's usually quarterback, you know, specific because this is a draft with three of them at the top of the draft. It's in our market, you know, a number two pick overall with a need at quarterback. But what do you think about just this time of year and all of the wild, you know, kind of swing opinions that you get on all these guys? 
Yeah, definitely, Kevin. And thanks for having me on. I would say, you know, kind of like you said, especially so early on, we're like 60 days out from the draft. Like, to me, it, it's 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 a lot of noise, I would say. I do think in some ways we get some measurable information kind of coming out of the combine and stuff. But this is very much a spot where it seems like people want to take polarized opinions on things to make headlines. And I don't really put, I would say, a ton of stock in some of the the, the, the eye-catching or headline-grabbing type quotes that are coming out for any individual quarterback. I do think, you know, even going back to, like, last year and, like, the Trevor Lawrence, you know, draft class, like, you are going to find some, you know, difficulties and some tough evaluations with certain players in certain spots, depending on what sort of plays you look at from them. But overall, you know, I, I think especially in this draft class, like, there are a lot of guys that – are going to be near the top of the draft and very much belong there. And there are going to be some warts and things. And obviously this process is meant to kind of pick apart some of those things. But overall, I would be absolutely shocked to see, you know, things like Drake may kind of fall out of the first round or him not really belonging, you know, with this upper echelon of quarterback class, you know, draft prospects, I would say coming up here. All right, I, I want I want, I'm going to believe your headline. Um, you've been watching these guys very closely. What would be your headline grabber on the quarterbacks that you yeah. feel confident in? Yeah, to me, I, I think you. When we've been looking at quarterback play, and this is a spot where you know, obviously at Sumer Sports and PFF, you know, previously, like you have to hit right the quarterback evaluations, and you have to get it right. And some of the stats that people look at. I don't think necessarily matter. And I think when we use some of these terms of, you know, air arm strength, you know, air accuracy, those sorts of things, like they just don't, I would say, translate really well to a data-driven type approach. So to me, I think the one spot you really want to look at and has really kind of held value from college to pro projections has been, I would say, the rate in which a guy is pressured and the amount of sacks that are actually converted when those pressure-type situations happen. And I do think that when you look at those sorts of things, like that is the spot where you know guys like Jada Daniels and Caleb Williams in a lot of ways do get knocked. And Drake May hasn't been really good either. So I think overall, you know, if you wanted to have a headline that a lot of these guys are overvalued in comparison to previous draft classes, I think you have to start and end with the conversation of how they've converted from a pressure to sack sort of situation and how they all three kind of live at the top of that range. And I think that speaks to maybe a little bit more difficulty at the NFL level for all these guys and what people are kind of currently projecting right now. So explain to everybody why, first of all, explain to everybody what that measurement is in layman's terms and then why you think it's so important and so transferable to the next level. Yeah, I, I, you know, so basically, you know, the, the rate in which a, a player takes a, a, a sack under pressure, like obviously, you know, pressure type situations come from a breakdown and, you know, of pass blocking and other situations. But the ways in which guys can kind of circumvent that has shown to be relatively stable from the college to pro game, because in a lot of ways, it's not really scheme driven. And, and in some ways, it is very much like a talent descriptive that for how well they can perform under pressure and I think it matters so much because the ability to avoid negative plays is only something that we're really starting to understand at the quarterback position and really try and really starting to show that you know a quarterback does control the rate in which he is sacked in a lot of situations obviously those pass blocking type breakdowns do happen but a guy that can alleviate that and at least turn a highly negative play into a zero, you know, overall EPA play or just a neutral play on like a throwaway type situation. That's going to really, I would say, 
keep offenses in check and I would say keep them balanced to the point where they can have sustainable long-term drives. And I think that's why it translates so well. And I also think, you know, in a lot of ways it's mattered more recently because of the evolution of like the two high defensive looks and the fact that teams are trying to, in a lot of ways, take the top off the de- take the top off the defense in, in a much different way. And that hasn't necessarily happened as much in over the past couple of seasons. So you do need to be more methodical and to be more methodical, you have to kind of avoid some of those highly negative type plays because you aren't going to convert, you know, the third and long or the third and 12 type situations after taking a sack on second down. And I think that's the reason why the, the, the avoidance of the negative play is the real reason why it's kind of held and really been a successful trait to kind of hold dear to, especially in the current evolution of NFL defenses. Is it important to have context around that from this perspective? Um the quarterback that is taking these pressure to have high uh, pressure to sack percentages because of processing versus playmaking. Meaning, you know, when you watch certain players, they'll end up taking sacks, but it's because they're trying to make a play. And by the way, sometimes these sacks, and I've measured, I've mentioned this to Eric in the, in the past, and he said that these numbers actually don't get excluded from the overall sack totals. But you'll see, you know, an escape of pressure and then a run for negative one yard out of bounds, and that is actually categorized as a sack, as an example. Yep. You know, or you know, uh, uh, it's it's about to become an eight or nine yard loss in a sack. They escape, they get it almost back to the line of scrimmage, but it's a loss of a yard, and that is registered as a sack. Isn't it important that it's because of processing that they're having these numbers if they're high? Yeah, I, I yeah, I think I think you bring up a really good point, and it is like the measurement in which we obtain the stat definitely matters. I think in some ways, both the processing and the trying to make a play in a lot of ways and escaping the the pocket, like if that leads to a really highly negative play where it is like a 10 or 11 yard loss, because those sorts of situations happen as well. In some ways that guy can break, contain, and maybe turn like an 11 yard sack loss into a one yard sack loss. But in some ways that can go the opposite direction, right? And I think quantifying that is something that you know, as an analyst, we're still trying to explore. And in a lot of ways, we probably won't get there without utilizing tracking data and using it really well with the location that the initial pressure happens and how well that quarterback moves both within the confines of the pocket and outside the pocket. But I think in some ways you are right in the fact that if a guy is just missing reads, he's not necessarily processing what the defense is giving him and really only getting through one or two reads before he has to bail out even though the pocket was protected relatively well from a pass blocking standpoint, like that's going to be a, an immediate red flag. And the more of those plays that are happening for a guy, I, I do think he is going to be much more dramatically dinged than the guy who is just trying to make, you know, the, the, the playmaker type ability where he's trying to turn the highly negative play into just a, a short loss or something like that for sure. I don't know if you have the data available, but what percentage of the sacks that Sam Howell took this year, the 65 sacks, were more of what you just described when we were talking about processing speed versus, you know, off schedule trying to make a play, turning a six yard loss into a two yard loss? Yeah, I, I think a lot of it was the, the, the high, and I do think there are ways of probably 
getting at the information if you do slice the data a little bit. And that, and that is something I can definitely look into a little further. But I, I think it was a higher percentage than what the typical average starting quarterback in the NFL did last year. And I think that's got to be, you know, the main concern with Washington Commanders fans is it wasn't necessarily – the, the the inability to overcome like playmaking, um, you, you know, with like a faster NFL defensive front than what he was used to, it did seem to be a lot more times in that secondary bucket where the processing just wasn't happening. And in some ways, maybe, you know, a, a better offensive line could help that. But I think overall, it, it's very much an indictment on the long-term outlook for Sam Howell being a, a productive NFL starter in the years to come. And I think that's the reason why, you know, the commanders have to go number two overall with the quarterback selection for sure. At Ben underscore R underscore Brown underscore on X. Ben Brown from Sumer Sports joining us right now. One more on that, and then I want to get to some of the quarterbacks in the draft and get more specific on Caleb Williams, Drake May, and Jaden Daniels in particular. But, you know, one of the things that all of the PFF guys and then guys, you know, that are at Sumer like you and Eric and others have pointed out over and over, and it's something that I've found very interesting over the last couple of years, is that sack percentages, unlike interception percentages, typically don't improve. Interception percentages improve with time and with experience, but sack percentages don't. And therefore, if you've got a high one earlier in your early in your career, it can reflect almost a, a very damaging flaw long term. Why is that? Why don't quarterbacks yeah. get better at avoiding sacks or processing faster? Yeah, I, I think honestly because the really difficult I would say skill set to actually develop and and coach up in a lot of ways. Like I do think, you know, getting enough reps in some ways you can improve your arm strength. And in some ways you could probably improve your overall accuracy as well. But processing and understanding what a defense is giving you in the span of like three seconds or less is just, is, is not only a really difficult task, but it's probably a really difficult one to model without getting a ton of like, you know, practice type reps that are almost at a live pace in a lot of ways. And I, and I think that's the, the struggle. I also think, you know, in some ways, like the overall narrative of, you know, quarterbacks probably aging a little bit more dramatically to the point where they're not, you know, they're not the escape artists that they were earlier on in their careers, I think in some ways leads to that as well. But I do think kind of going back to it and your main point is, you know, the, the processing of three seconds or less, doesn't really seem to improve. And I think overall it, it, it's not necessarily a lack of imagination on like a practice perspective, but it really is like a difficult task to actually model that out and show some improvement overall. And and we just haven't seen, I would say like quarterback classes in the off season, maybe drive home that point because we're just kind of maybe starting to understand just how impactful the sack relationship is to an overall team success. I would say. Sure. I think that's funny. Uh, well, not funny. I think it's very interesting in the last couple of years, there's been this emphasis and a lot of it by you guys on just how damaging a sack is um, to, you know, expected points added, et cetera. I mean, it, it, they are essentially drive killers uh, yep. the significant majority of the time. By the way, as is a significant penalty, you know, a 10 yard penalty yep. or more is is incredibly derailing. Uh, to a drive as well. So, again, we'll get to some of these players specifically, but we've got Ben Brown from Sumer Sports, formerly of PFF, um, on. You know, 
we're all NFL fans, and we've all learned a lot over the years. And we've all look. One of the things we've learned is that the sack stat ten years ago wasn't a quarterback stat; it was an offensive line, st- right. you know, stat. And now we've all advanced with the help of you know a lot of different people, including guys like yourself, and understanding that it isn't necessarily an offensive line stat. We've also learned what you were talking about that processing pre-snap, post-snap might be the most important thing. You know, more important than arm strength, more important than off schedule, although that's really important in today's NFL, but that you have to have that. My question to you is, uh, isn't that a, a very difficult thing to decipher by watching college tape given the way that game's played versus the NFL game or not? Yeah, I, I think it is, and I, and I think it cuts down on a lot of, like, throws that you can use for that sort of evaluation and I do think in some ways like you know going back to it it's it's why we've had such a difficult time in projecting from college success to who's actually going to be successful in the NFL because in a lot of ways it is completely different offenses and especially with like the run and shoot like there's a lot of reliance on the offensive coordinator getting that first read right in a lot of situations and if that first read or second read isn't open for a guy at the college level like he's taught to just bail and run out. And I, I think that's a completely different, you know, post-snap processing evaluation framework than what's asked at the NFL level, especially in like understanding the defense and, and the way in which they might be disguising the coverage and when that guy is even going to be open. I, I think in a lot of ways, you just don't see the same evolution of a process in play because the quarterback play at the college level is just different and maybe not quite up to speed so that the, the offensive coordinators and head coaches in some ways simplify those reads. But to be successful at the NFL level, you very much have to have that skill set. And unfortunately, without some sort of like, you know, minor league type development system really taking off at the NFL level, maybe that's the UFL in the spring season. I, I just don't know if we're going to, we're probably going to continue to see this rift or chasm kind of get greater between the college and NFL games, especially in the ways in which an NFL quarterback needs to beat NFL defenses uh, at this point in time, given the current state of where they're at. So I I think, you know, overall it is really difficult. And I think it's the reason why, you know, college pro projections at the quarterback position have become in some ways, you know, more difficult, even with an influx of data and information we have available to us. I had somebody tell me like two years ago that actually the evaluation of offensive linemen now uh, because of the way the college game has evolved is actually harder than any other position because what they're being asked to do, especially in the RPO game where they're allowed three yards downfield instead of the one yard in the NFL, it's just a really hard evaluation. But anyway, um, uh, we continue. So Ben Brown joining us from Sumer Sports. So you've already said – Washington's got to go quarterback at number two. I think, you know, all of us, most of my listening audience would agree, not everybody, um, but, a, but a, a large percentage would agree. So what would your board look like for Washington at two? Yeah, I, I mean, I would be, uh, you know, obviously, you know, Caleb Williams is, you know, very much the odds on favorite to go number one. To me, I've, you know, maybe got against the, the, the latest consensus on Drake May, and I do think he is going to be, a, a worthwhile solution at the number two overall selection for the Washington Commanders. I think what he showed in college, kind of going back to it, like a, a better, a better, you know, sack 
pressure ratio than what Caleb Williams or Jaden Daniels obviously offered. I think in a lot of ways he did show an ability to make every throw on the football field. And I think his overall athleticism like allows you to, in some ways, have that playmaking ability, but maybe not necessarily have to rely solely on that, you know, at the quarterback position to kind of overcome those pressure type situations. So for me, I, you know, overall, I don't think like the, the quality of what he was working with at North Carolina was maybe as good as, you know, what Caleb Williams had, you know, at the skill positions at USC or even Jaden Daniels had at LSU. But I think, you know, and maybe that's the one concern from Washington Commanders fans is you are getting, you know, in a lot of ways, a, a guy similar to what Sam Howell maybe was at at the college football level. But I think Drake may have shown an ability to be better than that. And I think in a lot of ways, like um, where he's been successful, it does translate well enough to the point where if he can improve on some of the accuracy type measurements and maybe I would say, you know, get in well with a, an offensive coordinator that simplifies the game for him at least in the first couple of seasons I, I think overall this is an offense that could be set up for some long-term success within that quarterback for sure so you would go may at number two if caleb williams went one i would go may at two i would have may still over you know Jaden daniels obviously like some of the testing and things might change that slightly but for my current evaluation i i would you know i, I would be ecstatic i think with drake may at number two overall and i think that has to be the direction you know uh, if you end up in that situation where Caleb Williams is, is obviously got a number one overall. If some of the recent reporting turns out, and look, this week is a week of reckless speculation, rumors, and everything, but let's just say for whatever reason, Chicago decides we're gonna, you know, we're gonna turn this number one into a boatload of picks over the next two years and stick with Justin Fields. Do you think there's enough difference between Caleb Williams and Drake May that it would make sense for Washington to move up one spot for, say, next year's first and this year's second? Yeah, I, I mean, to me, they, there's definitely a difference, I think. But kind of going back to maybe this discussion we've had is like the being overconfident on one particular quarterback has been really difficult to overcome. And I think you saw that last year with like the Carolina Panthers you know, going number one to Bryce Young, who was the consensus guy at the top of the draft last year. And, and there was supposed to be this huge gap between him and CJ Stroud. And I think very clearly, you know, after one NFL season, it, it's it's fairly obvious, if not completely obvious, that CJ Stroud was, was the better quarterback. So in some ways, I just think we have an overconfidence in our quarterback evaluation that might be too much to pay up for to actually be that team that that, that has to make this, the, the, the selection difference. So to me, I would probably wait based on what the compensation would have to be. But if, you know, the, the, the bears are, you know, willing to move down one spot for like a, you know, a, a, a somewhat fraction of the cost of what, you know, the, you know, like the Jimmy Johnson chart would have. I think that's maybe a conversation to explore, but you would have to, I would say, really trust, trust the evaluators and the scouts that you have in the building in that that is the right decision to make, to be confident in that pick that Caleb Williams is so much better than Drake made. Cause I don't know if I'm necessarily there yet, uh, but I'm not, you know, completely familiar on the, the processes and what, you know, Washington has in place. And I think given the, you know, the, 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 the complete change in state of, you know, both the, the head coaches and the, you know, the, the coaching staff and like the front office, to me, it's a spot where it's going to be really difficult to be confident in that sort of process to the point where you do want to kind of go up to the number one selection. So I think overall, 
from where I'm sitting, I, I would rather wait and see Washington take the guy at number two than pay up and be and be that decision maker at the number one overall selection. So is there a quarterback other than the perceived top three that you think is worthy of first round grade and even top half of the first round grade? Yeah, I, 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 I do go back and forth on this. You know, obviously we talked about, you know, the top three and then there's like, you know, you know, the JJ McCarthy, the Michael Penixes. To me, when you get into that range, like you would, I would very much want to be at the back half of the first round, if not, you know, in the twenties or maybe even like, you know, early second round. So maybe there's a scenario where, you know, Washington trades back and then they have something available at like, you know, pick 41 or something. Uh, But, but I think overall, like there's a pretty big gap between the top three guys and that next tier to the point where if you can have one of those three guys, uh, I very much would go in that direction. Then, you know, maybe waiting, going with a different pick, or maybe even trying to trade out of that spot would be probably the only scenario where I would feel really confident in maybe getting like the the second tier of quarterbacks later on in the draft from Washington's perspective. If I said to you there is a Brock Purdy somewhere on day three, who would it be? That is a good question. I would I want to know if there's a Kyle Shanahan on day three or not too, but I <laughs> you know, I, I don't I don't want to. I know this is going to be like a somewhat popular pick, but and he is in some ways like the opposite of you know Brock Purdy. But I think a guy like Spencer Rather has shown some <laughs> big play type ability. And I know he's, I know he gets laughed at a lot and those sorts of things, but I think if you were looking at where he's going to be drafted at, like there is at least a case, maybe not for Washington, uh, but I think like a team that I've been, you know, uh, my fandom has kind of. Uh, you know, gone towards has been the Minnesota Vikings. I think with, you know, the, the, the wide receivers they have in place, like that is a spot where, you know, I think he could have some, some longer term success. Uh, I, 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 I don't think he's going to be, you know, a late round draft pick, but I think Michael Pratt, obviously he has some age considerations along with Michael Penix, but he's a guy that's graded really well from Tulane's perspective and maybe doesn't have, you know, and is a lot better out than some like the turnover worthy type plays, interception rates, um, and those sorts of things to the point where he could be at, at least a bona fide candidate to maybe slot into a productive offense and, and engineer it with the correct offensive coordinator, I would say. You know, it's funny that you mentioned Spencer Rattler because I was just ripping off some quarterbacks' names earlier, and I, I, it's, Denton and I, I think, have talked about Spencer before. I actually thought there were games that he played in that he really looked like a pro quarterback, but there has been this thing around Spencer Rattler and the relationship he has in the locker room with teammates. And who knows how much of it is true. And maybe there's a maturity that came with the transfer to South Carolina. But if you're a Vikings fan, based on what we've heard, he's the opposite of Kirk Cousins in the locker room. He is. He is the opposite of Kirk Cousins. And that might be, you know, a a tough thing to, replace it and that's you know and i think that's kind of maybe going back to the initial point like those are the things that come out at this time of year and and in some ways you have to trust your evaluators and you have to trust your scouts to the point where you really understand some of these guys and hopefully he did mature obviously you know having a starting job uh removed and get you know caleb williams coming in but i I think longer term he did at least flash some on-field production to the point where he would be an, an intriguing option for some teams that maybe have a pretty decent structure um, around him offensively and could potentially, I would say, um, 
you know, work with what he has available and, and kind of build out from like a second or third round draft pick. I think it's kind of like the one area, like if he goes in the first round, I think that's definitely an overdraft. And I do agree with you. There are some, you know, character type concerns. We'll see how well that plays out or how much more information we get on that. But uh, I think that's in some ways a more difficult thing to quantify than what we've ever, you know, previously understood as well, I would say. So on this show, we refer to Kirk as you-know-who because it's a very triggering name (laughs) for a lot of our fans. But um, I am a fan, and I've been a fan going back to his days in Washington. I think he ends up in Minnesota. Where do you think he ends up? Yeah, that's definitely the favorite. Obviously, there's like a little bit of, you know, contract work that needs to happen sooner rather than later because of the void years that they tacked on and in some ways the Vikings did this weird thing of almost poison pulling themselves but I think they can get something worked out um, I do think you know what's best for Kirk and what's best for Minnesota very much matches right now um, you know especially heading into this next offseason like Kirk Cousins was playing you know some of his best football we've we've ever seen which is really good and I would say maybe it's not MVP worthy but he was very much playing like a top five quarterback before going down with that Achilles injury and I think this is maybe the first time I would really feel confident in saying it but I do think the Vikings best long-term decision is running it back one more season with with Kirk Cousins because it does seem like in some ways you know their championship window is closing and, and if they don't absolutely hit it out of the park with a quarterback at the 11th overall selection uh they could be in for some dark days here really soon so i think from a you know risk management standpoint having kirk back for one more year makes too much sense i would say for the vikings not to try if and that happens happen. and i've got i got 30 seconds here and i gotta run and you've been very gracious with your time if that happens in justin fields let's just say somehow miraculously stays in chicago what do Pittsburgh and Atlanta do? Yeah, that's that's the question. I, I think I think that's when you see you know Michael Penix maybe go in the latter half of the first round of the Steelers right. or something like that. But it's another one where they're going to have to you know coach up a, a team better than the sum of their parts, and that's just not a great expectation you know for that Pittsburgh Steelers team. And I, and I think the Falcons at least have a little bit longer runway to the point where they maybe don't have to have the quarterback position completely solved this offseason. Great job. Uh, Really enjoyed catching up with you. I appreciate it. Uh, We'll talk soon. Thanks, Ben. Awesome. Thanks, Kevin. Have a great show. Yep. Ben Brown from Sumer Sports, uh, formerly of PFF, at Ben underscore R underscore Brown underscore. Uh, We're going to shift gears and we're going to talk to the head coach of the WCAC champion, Paul the sixth, they beat Gonzaga last night, and they are being referred to as maybe the greatest high school basketball team in the history of this area. Uh, we'll talk to the head coach, Glenn Farello, next. Kevin Sheehan, show the Team 980 and the Team980.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. 
conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.